Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God Father, we just want you here. Just close your eyes with me real quick. We just invite you. We need you. Um, without you, nothing really works. Without you here right now, nothing really works. I thank you for the word, its journey into our lives, through history, through our families, however we stumbled upon it and heard the story of the gospel about this Savior who instead of flexing his muscles to destroy, instead of creating barriers that separate, said, hey, I'm coming, and I'm going to destroy barriers, and I'm going to love sacrificially, and you're going to want me to fight people, but I'm going to love them even unto death. And you won't see it at first, but eventually you'll see why that was so important. We thank you that we get you here in this space right now. So your Holy Spirit, which you said, to all of your disciples, is here for us. I'm leaving, but I leave with you a helper. We ask your Holy Spirit to continue to do what your word says, which is comfort, counsel, teach, admonish, fill, overflow. We ask for your Holy Spirit, who has been hijacked for generations. We reclaim the beautiful gift that is the Holy Spirit, that is peace and joy and all of these things, God, that draw men unto you, that even at times comes and taps on our heart and says, here's some conviction, but you'll even experience hope in that conviction. We thank you for those moments. Today, let it happen. In Jesus' name. Uh, I'm, gonna pr- I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep praying for a moment. God's speaking to somebody's heart right now. Um, I pray, Father, that you would, he's stirring some people's hearts in this room. And he is convicting, but you do feel that hope connected to it. And he wants you to, he's, he wants you to know welcome home. Not to River City, but to him. Um, he's breaking hearts even right now. 
He's been wooing you. He's been approaching you. He's been coming after you. He's been with you in places you didn't think he was with you. And he's waiting for his opportunity to say to you, I've loved you. I will love you. I'll always love you. I'm here for you. You can finally rest. Don't you feel at home? Do you feel a longing and an emptiness? I'm not trying to manipulate you to to behave better. I'm trying to say, be at peace. And so Jesus today, do that. In Jesus' name, we thank you so much. All right. I'm going to read, all right? Open your Bibles to Matthew 3, verse 13. And then I'm going to read uh, 15, 16 passages all the way into Matthew 4, 1 through 11. So I'm going to read to you from the NIV. And that's also NIV, or is it still? It's NIV. It's the NIV. The NIV translation, so... If you're, if you're there, you're there. I'm going to read you, okay? Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. I get that, too, a little bit. I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Like, just scripture break. Such clarity. Such clarity right there for him to say, okay. This is for real. There's this identity in that. There's just clarity. I've called you. Don't sweat that anymore. Then it goes into the place you would never guess. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. If we were writing the Bible, none of us would have written that line. That is not what would come after when Jesus finally realizes who he is, like this guy. He's led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. Theologically, there's a lot that happens right there. Okay, I'm going to keep going now. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, like all of us do, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And then Jesus, knowing the word, it being the word, it is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, from Deuteronomy. Then the devil took him to the holy city in a vision, side note, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus then answered him, it is also written, right, the word again, he is the word, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, for the third time, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, 
Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Baffling scripture. The progression here in Matthew is pretty simple. You all know it. He's born. You know the story of that. He lives his earthly life really well. There's no chaos. There's nothing super crazy. I think we probably would have read it if he'd have been out doing some crazy stuff. For 30 years, he lives this like at-home life and does really good at home before ministry. Does really good in the things, carpentry and just being a son. You know, he does a good, good job. Then in Matthew chapter 3, he knows it's about to be time. He meets John the Baptist. John the Baptist knows who he is. He has the interaction and he's baptized. And then this happens. And so today, why... Why am I reading this to you guys? There's really a couple reasons. The first one was I really feel like the Lord had something to speak to you today in this. Um, I feel like we've been living in the will of God, preaching through the, the creating space, but I felt like today was like a pivot point. And if I'm honest with you, I feel like River City's at a pivot point. Um, and I shared this with one of our elders this week, but it feels like from the beginning to now, we've been working on a foundation. And we all kind of know these things on the wall. We're pretty good at them. And it feels like now we're moving to a phase of like, all right, we need to put the trusses in and the structure. The foundation's there, and now we put the things in place that need to be there for, create, for health. And it feels like it's like a pivot point. It's almost like the honeymoon's over as well. We talked about this last week. And it's not still, it's a beautiful thing still, but the honeymoon's over, right? We're in our space. We, we, people have come. God's been blessing us. But now it's like a, a shifting. It's time to kind of look forward. What's God trying to do? What is he trying to do here? How is he going to do it? How do you play into that, right? Like, I, w- I would love for you to question, how, why would you bring me here? Why would you do that? Because it's definitely not to just sit and listen to a really attractive, like, younger guy, um, 40-ish. <laughs> if that were the reason you were here, you would not be here, and everybody knows that. So why, you know, like, in this part of this church, this plant, why are you here? It's definitely not to just demand how things should be done, right? There's churches doing things that may be that way. It's to partner with us and to see what God's doing, but, but I really feel like it's like a neat place. It's a neat place for us to be, and it, it's going to take us as a group really going after the heart of God for the next season, or we can slip into kind of the way that churches do it and just start doing so. We're not doing that. We want God's heart, so for me, it feels like this, and this is why this jumped out. I feel like God wants to tap into some people's identity this week, and I feel like when your identity is solid, living for Jesus and going after him is much, much clearer and easier. If your identity is not solid and you do not know who you are in him, you do not know what he is, then that's when we tend to do other things and replace Jesus with things that maybe make us feel better. If I'm really honest with you guys, I've been in a spot like that lately. Maybe, um, I'm not, I wouldn't brag about it, but at the spot of transition and an identity, and even in the spot of a wilderness where I'm like, God's, there's a lot of temptation happening. Why? There's um, some dryness. Like, why? God, I know who I am. I want you. And I feel like for you, maybe some of you were there, and you're asking questions like, why? Like, I definitely didn't, why, why did you lead me into this? The Spirit led Jesus into a wilderness. The actual, I'm not even going to get into that yet, but yes, I am. The, the word there is actually the desolation. It's a, call, a place called Jeshimon, and it's 
Literally, the place he was led to was called the desolation. Doesn't that sound awesome? Right? Like right after baptism, the desolation. Like on Baptism Sunday in a few weeks, what if we were to tell people, did you enjoy being baptized? Awesome. We've planned a trip for you to the desolation. Uh, It's going to be for 40 days. You're not going to eat. It's going to be beautiful. The enemy, the devil, is going to come tempt you three times, specifically to how you're going to be called. You're really going to love it. And then our church would not exist anymore because that is definitely not cheap grace, right? But that's what happens, you know, like Jesus is baptized and then he gets taken into the desolation. And I think it's, I think it's interesting. Identity is always a tender place for attack, attack in all phases. Whether you're in a desert, whether you're not, your identity will always be the ground that the enemy tries to attack. And I think in your identity is where you really learn if you're, what you're doing will be for you or for other people. And so, yes, we create space when we're seeking. We've been creating space for this whole year. It's good to create space when you're trying to figure out what to do with your job, relationships. But yes, we also create space after we've been on a mountaintop. I can think of Sam, who just got back from a mission trip, that she wanted to actually move there, right? Like, you come back from that, and you're just ready. Jesus has a mountaintop experience and goes directly into seeking. We would not do it that way. We would hear from the Lord, understand who we are, and we'd be like, let me loose. And and in the Bible, it doesn't work that way. It's like, I know you're ready, but you're really not. Because there's some things that need to be cleansed in you before you have an audience. And if they're not cleansed in you before you have an audience, you might fall there. So why not go spend some time alone or in a desolate place or in a situation you don't want to be in that you didn't control so that he can do some things in you so it doesn't have to be done there. Sarah used to say this to me all the time. I'm really honest with her about my struggles. Um, and there were just some things I was really kind of like a pattern way that I would struggle. And she used to say it to me, and it would echo, and it echoed and echoed. Sarah, I don't know why I struggle with this. I don't know why I struggle with this. I feel like I'm in a, just a dark place. I feel like I'm so unknown. And it was a season for me that I really wanted to be known, if I'm honest. I thought it was important to be known if you're in ministry, because that's what ministry is about, right? It's about me being important. And she used to say to me, well, you're struggling, you know, and the enemy, it's like, keeps tempting you with things, and you keep failing at them. Fail now, because what if, like, and I don't even desire to have massive church anymore, but what if you get there, and that's when kind of the curtains pull back, and those things happen? What if, what if you get everything you want right now, and you haven't been through a testing, wouldn't it be better to do it before you're in front of, you know, a million people? So we just don't like desolate places, though. I don't like them. I don't like waiting. But the gifts that come out of waiting are the best gifts by far. I can, I can name three instantly. When I was going to marry Sarah, I didn't just meet her while I was out doing the thing. There was a three-year period. All of you guys that are single are like, whoa, calm down. There was a three-year period because I did not know how to go after girls in the right way. There's a three-year period I waited to not date, and there were some opportunities that came along. My desert in that season created a Sarah, so I'm responsible for how awesome she is is what I tell her. (laughs) Listen, 
I don't deserve what I got. And it's not about whether or not you saved yourself from marriage. It's not about that. God brought me somebody who loves the Lord, who's a better preacher than me, who's theologically sound, who's going after him. We go together. We fit so well together. If I would have decided to not go through a desert with that, I would have a wife right now. That's not her. And if you're listening to the podcast, person, you're a good person. It would have not been the way it is. <laughs> so that's the thing, right? You, Sam was like, what are you going to say today that's not shouldn't be on the podcast? That was it. Another, another season of um, a huge desert. I graduated Lee University. I shouldn't have graduated, and I didn't know what I should do. I went to seminary. I show up at seminary. And the medium age at seminary is almost 50. Um, foreign pastors, which was the best thing for me at the time. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have known that then. But it felt alone. I mean, there were nights I would cry myself to sleep, still struggling in temptation. And I failed many times. I failed while going to school at a seminary in ways that I would totally tell any of you if you asked me. I'm not going to say it here because I'm appropriate, right? Um, but it was a season where it, it wasn't all on the line. It wasn't. Now, right now, if I fail, it's different, you know. If, but he brought me through a season. And the next thing is RCC would not be here without a season of a wilderness if he wouldn't have led us into obscurity. And obscurity is good. Obscurity is a desert, right? Obscurity is the place where you're unknown, where there's not people clapping for you, where the only voice you hear really through it is the enemy's voice telling you lies, questioning things you already know. But that just doesn't mean you get out of the wilderness in the desert. And so the best gifts come from times like this. The best gifts come from desolation place. The best gifts comes out of seasons that you couldn't see coming. And then all of a sudden through you and all of a sudden through Jesus, there's salvation. Because of his desert, he chose the cross because he could see the future of that. And I just think that's beautiful. I think... What, what meaningful can come? And, and ask yourself this. What can meaningfully come out of your spot that you're in right now that's really difficult? Right? What's, what meaningfully can come out of it? And also ask yourself this. Do you know you're his? And if you do, something really beautiful is going to come out of it. Period. If you know that you're his. If you're, you're certain of it. You can, there's times you question that, I understand. But the time of struggle and the time of temptation, something beautiful is coming. Not like a get your blessing right now kind of a beautiful either. Not like a claim whatever you want and it's yours. Not there's going to be three beamers in the parking lot for you. Like way better real stuff than that. Way better stuff than that. Like certainty of calling. Like certainty of identity. Like the desire to live for other people over and above yourself like a willingness to stand on whatever cross he puts in front of you for the sake of man and your brother. Like those gifts are way more beautiful than anything that you can receive on this earth. Does that make sense? And so those kind of things don't come if Jesus goes from the moment where God speaks, this is my son who I'm in straight into collecting disciples. Because right after this, collecting disciples. There's 11 verses and then collecting disciples, miracles, there's a season, though, of 11 verses where he's literally in the desolation, which is like a 40-mile place in between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea where nothing good happens. 
and all the rocks look like bread. Legitimately, they all look like bread, which is interesting why that's the first temptation that Jesus receives from the devil, right? Everybody say the devil. Let's say that. I just want to reclaim the word temptation really quick, though. When we think of the word temptation, all we think about is luring into doing something stupid, like a mousetrap, or like those shows where, like, to catch a, whatchamacallit, predator? That's probably not a good, right here, to, I'm just going to move past that. We have an idea that temptation is bad and all bad, but the word, scripturally, for temptation is parazam, and it actually means to test. And some of the translations, the word test is used. And the testing is a good thing that he gives to people he intends to use. So, if you continue to struggle in temptation and fail, do not throw in the towel, but know that he intends to use you and that he will help you get through it. It doesn't mean that that means you're a terrible person, right? Because for me, when I struggle in temptation, a lot of I'm like, why am I being tempted so bad? And if I can connect that to this desire that the Lord is trying to refine something in me for his kingdom, then that's way more beautiful than I'm such a failure. There's no way that I should struggle with this. If anyone knew, like the things we say to ourselves, if anyone really knew, if you're continually tempted, that's just a good sign that Jesus wants to use you eventually. But don't run from it. Run to him. And don't accept quick fixes now, because that's all we do. When we, when we say yes to temptation, it's like there's a lie being dangled out in front of us. Here's what will happen that doesn't happen. And we trade in what we could wait for, for what, for what now provides. And that's what his temptations are really about. So the Jewish people had a, had a proverb that they would say, The Holy One does not elevate a man to dignity until he has first tried and searched him. And if he stands the test, then he is raised to dignity. Or you fall later, and that's not good. It's good for those he intends to use. So he's led into three specific temptations, and I'm just going to hit on really quick. The first temptation, I'll say this. There's something happening from the enemy and something happening from God. The enemy's plan in this desert is to get Jesus to focus on self and, and work for self. God's plan is to let the enemy do that so that the person can be cleansed of that. Does that make sense? So, and it even says he's led into, right? He's led by the Spirit into temptation and testing. That's baffling. So the enemy wants for Jesus to be self, to focus on self and do it on his own, and God wants to let the enemy do that so that it can cleanse Jesus of self. Does that make sense? So the testing is good. The first one is turn these rocks into bread, which they happen to look like little pieces of bread which is crazy, just walking around in the desolation looking at little fake pieces of bread. We'd be all eating those things. We'd, none of us would have teeth, which is really interesting because he has, he has the opportunity to take the, God, the gift that God has given him and use it for self. And twofold, he has the opportunity to create bread, which in that, where he's at, that could create followers. If he can turn what has been given to him into either helping himself or showing people, I can make stinking bread right? People would want to follow that, especially if they're hungry. But the trick with that is if you just give somebody something when they're hungry, it doesn't help the problem of starving. And people are starving, and that's why it says in Deuteronomy, can you pull up this passage? The first one, Shante. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you, you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you 
that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So he shows him it's not just about getting what you need right now. Sometimes that's actually harmful. That's why when you're helping people who are in bad situations, they need to know if it's rehab or if it's rescue. Because if it's a rehab issue and you're trying to help somebody, you're only hurting them. People need help. People need to know that underneath every need that they have is a deeper desire for God, and that is more important, which is awesome. The second thing he's tempted with. He's tempted in a vision to jump off a 450-foot structure, and this isn't mentioned in the text, that a priest would stand on every morning and blow a horn to let everybody know it's time for sacrifice time. And he would wake everybody up and say, it's time for sacrifice time. He was being tempted to jump off that 450 feet and not be harmed. Again, the second temptation, use what's been given to you, miracles, the ability to do miracles, to create sensationalism so that people will be like, ooh, I want what you have, right? But he knows that sensationalism won't lead you anywhere. Sensationalism, the thing about like a miracle-focused ministry, and we're, I'm going to read you in a minute all the miracles of Jesus, not all of them, is it kind of has to be better every time. If it's about sensationalism, it has to always be better. It can't just be about that. So Jesus says no the second time, and then the third time. Can you, actually, can you pull up Deuteronomy 6.16? I'll read this to you guys. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did in Massa. Just because you can do something, if you're Jesus, just because you can do that, don't do it for yourself. It's really crazy. The third one is the whole world. Pull up Psalm 2.8. Then the enemy creatively offers the whole world to him, which is interesting because this temptation taps into his calling directly, taps directly into what he's supposed to do. It's just a quicker way to do it from the wrong person. So he has to say no to what looks like his actual dream and wait on it. Psalm 2.8 says, Ask me and I will make, you the nations your, make the nations your inheritance, the end of the earth your possession. So Jesus is tempted three times, and this is what I want you guys to get from this. When temptation comes, it's amazing how connected it is to what you will do with your life. These three things that happen, think about it. If you look at the bread, we all know a passage later where Jesus does turn something into bread, right? But not for himself. There's a difference. Turn this bread so that you can eat right now. He turns it into much more than that and feeds how many people? 5,000 people. We can look. He wasn't saying miracles were bad, but miracles for other people, for them to know Jesus is what he was saying. Not for self. Not to gain a following. Not so that people can say, that man does miracles. We should follow him for us. But to say, whenever you will do any of these, it will be for other people and not for yourself. Jesus changed water into wine. Jesus cured a nobleman's son. Jesus healed the great hall of the fishes that Jesus pulled out of the water. Jesus cast out an unclean spirit. Jesus cured Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. Jesus healed a leper. Jesus healed the centurion's servant. Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead. Jesus stilled the storm. Jesus cured two demoniacs. Jesus cured the paralytic. Jesus raised the ruler's daughter from the dead. Jesus cured a woman with an issue of blood. Jesus opened the eyes of two blind men. Jesus loosened the tongue of a man who could not speak. Jesus healed an invalid at a pool. Jesus restored 
a withered hand. Jesus cured a demon-possessed man. He fed 5,000. He healed a woman in Canaan. He cured a deaf and mute man. He fed at least 4,000 more people. Jesus opened the eyes of a blind man. Jesus cured the boy who was plagued by a demon. On and on and on. And interestingly, interestingly enough, there's roughly 40 miracles that were recorded. And I'm not a numerologist, and I'm not about to say this is what it is, but it's, also, it's just interesting to me that he's in the desert 40 days, and he does 40 miracles. It's also interesting that there's 40 miles of land. That's just a side point. I'm not saying that if you fast for a day, you get a miracle. Like That's really bad theology. But I do think there's a direct connection to how much time you'll spend listening and seeking and being in places where he can fill you to what you'll do with your life. And if there's an unwillingness to do that, I kind of think whatever happens isn't really him anyway. Because if there's somebody who could skip places like that, it's definitely Jesus. If there's one person who could skip quiet places, who could skip alone places, it's definitely Jesus. And he does it more than anyone else in Scripture. And he is the solidified son of God who's the centerpiece of everything and will continue to be. And when this world fades away, there will be Jesus. And he takes time away after calling, after solidified vision, after he knows that he knows who he is. This person who could have been the one to say, you know what, I'm good, I'm going. People need me right now. The world's dying, right? The end times is happening. They need us now. He goes for 40 days to be alone, and he's led there, and I love that about him. It's so hard, though, for us, but there's such an awesome connection between the temptations that happen to him to what he actually does. It's so interesting. This is also kind of jumping some, to some theological conclusions, but what are you tempted with? How are you tempted? What does the enemy seem to keep bringing to you that is like, oh, why do I keep falling? And are those things possibly connected to how God will use you? Is the devil so creative that he knows where to tempt you even in relation to how you've been gifted? According to the 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, all of us have a gift for the body of Christ. So when you're tempted, I just kind of think, I'll just step on some connecting toes here, I kind of think there's probably some connection, right? Like whatever you continually struggle with to how he will use you for other people. You know, and I just want you to ask three questions today as we're wrapping up. And this is the part I feel like God wants you to really interact with. There's three phases of things that happens here. There's the Jesus leading up to where he, he, identity is found. Calling happens, this beautiful moment. There's the Jesus that's led into a desolate place or a place of searching, a place of aloneness, a place you don't want to go. And then there's the Jesus that comes out of that with a focus on other people ready to do ministry. So I just want to challenge you. Which one of those things do you feel like God has you at right now? Some, maybe some things that will help you is if you're the first one and God's leading you to a season where you need identity, you need to know that you're called, you need to know that he really is for you, maybe your questions right now are things like, who am I? Do you love me? Am I forgiven? Is this real? Right? And then nobody can create the moment for you that has to happen where he does that. That's a between you and him moment that I believe if you seek him, it will happen. I believe that. That's the first person. The second person is you are being led into a wilderness or you already find yourself in a wilderness right now. Maybe you don't want to be there. 
you're, you're gonna ask questions like this. Um, you're, well, you're gonna be tempted to ministry jump. Your temptation is gonna be to find the better thing as soon as possible, because anything's better than desolation, right? Anything's better than searching and unknowing. Your temptation is gonna be to jump from thing to thing when God wants you to stay. You cannot skip deserts. You cannot skip these places. Here you'll ask questions like, did I really hear that? Like, did, did he say that about who I am in him? Did he call me to do that? Did he want me to do that? Is that true? You'll be facing strong temptation. You'll be facing extremely strong temptation in a desert because that's where the refining is going to happen. You'll see unforeseen circumstances, and you'll have the question over and over again, am I going to do what he's called me to do for myself or for others? And that's the question all of us have to answer. And news alert, most people that I know do not answer that question correctly. And they create a kingdom based around either their personality or their idea of what Jesus should be. Will you do what he's given you to do with what he's put in you for other people or for yourself? Can you do what he's called you to do? Never be known for it. Never have anyone clap for you ever and be fine with it. Can you do what he called you to do and be like the silent billionaire in the room? Like nobody knows how rich you are. I don't know why I said that there. It didn't make sense. And then the last place is you've gone through a season where you're coming out on the other end, right? And you've been tested. You feel the presence of the Lord. You withstood it. It was hard. Ministering angels surrounded you to say, now we're here with you. And it's a season of ministry beginning. Here's how you know if you're at this place. You're certain that what you're about to do will not be for you. You're certain that what you're about to do with your life will not be for you, but for other people. And this is why we have a cross, and this is why we have a resurrection, and this is why we have Christianity, because he chose this way. So if, if we could have our people come up that are gonna, gonna be doing some worship, all I want you to do today, all I really want you to do is ask the Lord what, what he's leading you into. Ask him to speak to you, but ask him to lead you. And if it's any of these three places, I would love to have people pray for you. I would love to have people pray for you. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me as we close. And just, just so you know, for the rest of the time we're in here, this is going to be a place of ministry. We're going to pray for people who need prayer, people who want to worship for a little while. So if you need to have a conversation, we just ask that you would maybe head out to the coffee area or the front. But if you need more time with the Lord, please stay in this room. And so, Father, I just say thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Easter's three weeks, three weeks away. And all we do is celebrate that you were willing to do all of these hard things for us. And you show us not how to receive so much, but how to give. And so today, we just want to carry that mantle, God, of selflessness. And our brother and sister are important. And whether that looks like answering phones for people who are hurting or inviting people into a, a vacant bedroom in our house, to be more like Jesus is our goal. If it does mean that miracles are going to come through the ministry that you've called us to, we're going to see healings, we ask in your name that we would receive no credit for it. And that we would not capitalize on it and try and turn a trick spiritually so that we can have it. But that we would divert all attention back to you. 
so that no one is dependent on man, not this man or that man, not Paul or Apollos or anybody, but you, Jesus, because you're the bread of life, not the quick fix. So let us respond today, God. And one last prayer. If you're in a desert right now, I just ask that God would give you patience. The Spirit is patience and long-suffering and endurance. So Father, today we ask you to just solidify, speak into, guide, lead us. We humble ourselves before you as we end today. We want you, we need you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just spend some time. Um, if you need to go, love you guys. See you next week. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.